Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about pitches and we're talking about sell sheets. We're talking about the things that you need to get good at if you want to get the door opened uh, with the publisher to get your game signed, to get that, that illustrious uh, game contract that's going to make you all that money. Okay, maybe not, but at least it'll get you uh, on a store shelf somewhere. We're talking to Jeremy Commander. He, he runs the Board Game Business Podcast, which I'm a huge fan of. I've gotten a lot of insight and advice from those guys over there at that podcast. And he also runs the Board Game Builders, which is uh, the largest proto-spiel in the United States of America. It's really cool. He knows what he's talking about. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. So let's let's get into your bio. Like I just gave you know listeners a couple things that you do, but kind of who are you? People never heard of you, maybe. And so how'd you get into game design? Get into podcasting? All that good stuff. Sure. So uh, I used to be a, a like a semi pro, I guess, a TCG player. I played a lot of TCGs. Was a pretty high level TCG player. Like you know, I, I won money playing TCGs. Nice. Uh, and then from there, you get recruited to be like a play tester for the the TCG, then you, you might step up to being a developer for a TCG. Uh, then I got to be a designer for some TCGs. I worked on some expansions for games. Uh, but the TCG market, you know, came and went and peaked. And Magic's still going strong, as is Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon. Uh, but it's not, you know, where it once was. And that business model has changed. So I, I tell game designers today, don't make a TCG. Right. It's a bad business model in, in the way the market is now. Uh, and so... People I'd met from TCGs introduced me to what I would call hobby style or designer or German uh, board games. And, you know, in my mind, you know, board games were, uh, you know, monopoly and, and life, you know, from your childhood. Like, ah, I don't know about these board games. I'd rather go play a, a TCG. But then, so I got invited to a board game party. And the first two games we played there were Ticket to Ride and Puerto Rico. Nice. Uh, and so like, wow, board games are a lot better than I remember when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I... That, that filled or filled that void from TCGs. I was playing board games, and so I decided that I wanted to try designing one. Uh, and my design partner I work with on games, uh, his name is Franklin Kenner, and I met him through TCGs as well. He used to come to the tournaments I would run. Very smart guy. He teaches math at the Annapolis Naval Academy. Uh, and so he used to live local to me, and now he's, he's moved, now since moved to Annapolis. And so we have uh, two games in stores, three under contract, uh, and we do all the st- all, all the games we do now. We do collaboratively, so we work over the internet through Dropbox, and and uh, it's nice because we can sort of get a blind play test on both ends. I'll test something and then update it, uh, and then he can test it, and it's it's like a, a new test for him with fresh eyes, and so that works pretty well. As part of my, I wanted to get an education about board games. I wanted to learn all about board games. So there was a Kickstarter where, for a certain high pledge level, you could have dinner at Gen Con with the publisher and designer of this game. Uh, and the publisher was James Matthew of Minion Games, who gives good advice on his blog. You should yeah, look absolutely. him up if you have not. I know, I know you have, but your listeners should look him up if, you, if they haven't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Matthew's a hilarious guy in person. He talks a mile a minute. Uh, and I think he drank like, I don't know, seven Diet Cokes while, while we were talking. And so I, I, I signed up for this, and the, the poor designer was there. 
Dave Witcher, who runs the, the first protospiel, the protospiel like Prime up in uh, up in Michigan, uh, I, 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 just, I was just pounding Matthew with questions, trying to understand how the board game industry worked. Was, I just asked him nonstop questions for an hour. I barely ate anything uh, to learn all about it. And so Matt, one of Matthew's suggestions was you really should go to a protospiel event because uh, that's going to level up your game and really test it outside your crowd you normally test with to see is your game good enough. It's like an acid test for your game. Uh, and so I went to protospiel Austin, Protospiel Houston and Dave's uh, Protospiel up in like Ann Arbor, Michigan area. Uh, and I learned a lot at all those three events. And I interviewed the organizer of each of those uh, and asked them questions and learned more. And then I had a lot of people, I met people at all those events from the West Coast. And they were all saying like, oh man, I wish there was one of these Protospiels out in the West Coast. And there's, there's nothing uh, west of Texas that, 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 for a Protospiel. I said, ah, I guess I'll, I guess I'll try doing one, but it's a lot of work. So I, I, I put one up, uh, I, I set one up one year, and I got Dave's blessing to be affiliated with Protospiel. And actually, the first two years, I was un- affiliated with Unpub as well. Uh, and then Daryl asked me not to do that because he didn't want to confuse the brands, which I understand. And so now it's just a Protospiel. Uh, I set one up, and I thought, you know, if I can get 50 to 100 people to show up over the weekend, that'll be really good. That'll be a great first year. Because uh, other protospiels at that time were like 70 to 100 people. It's like, oh, you know, that's a pretty reasonable goal. I have a big population center here. That's my first year. And 200 people showed up the first year. Wow. And so I was like, oh, dang, there's a lot of pent up demand. And so now we just finished our fifth year doing it. We had over 700 people come. Uh, it is a ton of work. I could not do it without the, the volunteers that do so much work for it. But it's a great way to kind of level up the local board game design community because three days of testing and developing games and really making them better. Yeah, very cool. Now, explain just a little bit more like what a protospiel is, just in case somebody's listening and they're like, oh, I yeah, have no absolutely. idea what that is. Yeah. So a protospiel, uh, and I know protospiel Omaha is coming up. I think it's the next one on my, my calendar that I saw. Uh, is uh, A protospiel is uh, a, a bunch of designers. They rent out like a whole two ballroom somewhere or a conference room, uh, and they come together for a weekend to play each other's games. Uh, and it's a very critical eye of your game. You're going to sit down and play your game with like three other designers and they're not going to hold back. They're going to tell you what's, what's not polished enough. What's wrong with your game. If something is imbalanced, it's going to, your game is going to have a, a, a hard test at that, at, at the protospiel. Well, that's good for it. Cause if it can pass that, that means your game is ready to pitch. And if it's not, you, you're going to get very good advice on what to fix or develop in your game. And you're probably going to get three different opinions on, you know, how to fix your auction mechanic. And you don't have to you know, go with one of those, but you need, now you know your auction mechanic is broken because all the designers at the table said they, they would change this thing. You know that's not working. And so it's a good idea. Like, okay, all right, so I know I've got I've to work on this. I've got to change that. So the, the protospiel is the designers coming together and hopefully they pull in players too. It's not all designers for a weekend to play each other's games. And it's important to understand etiquette-wise because it's mostly designers. Your game is only going to get at the table like one quarter of the time. You know, we've got to take turns and play other people's games. That's part of the etiquette of the event. Yeah, gotcha. And it's even to a point where publishers are now showing up to these events and looking at games they're trying to sign, right? Yeah. Uh, games do get picked at protospiels. Uh, I had, at this year we had, let's see, who, who came this year? We had Breaking Games come this year. We had Tasty Minstrel come this year. We had Mayday Games come this year. Uh, and then we had a few like smaller and local publishers uh, come as well. Uh, last year, Renegade was able to come. Oh, Indie Boards and Cards came this year as well. And so, yeah, if, if your game is a late-stage game, then a protospiel might be a good way to pitch your game uh, to a publisher and get it seen. 
I don't want to set the expectations because different protospiels attract different publishers. I'd say if you're going to a protospiel, your mindset should be, I'm going here to test if my game is ready and really make it better with a tough audience. Right. And that, that should, that's, what I, that's the goal I would set for a protospiel. If you bump into a publisher there, great. But don't make your primary goal of a protospiel pitching. That's better done at a con. Uh, and protospiel is better for developing your game. Yeah, that's a great point. Let it be a little more uh, serendipity than you actually going in thinking, I'm going to go get this game signed, because that's more than likely not going to happen. But let's kind of move into what it looks like to start down that path of getting a game signed, of, of talking to a publisher and all that. Let's start talking about pitches. First of all, what is a, like, give me a good definition for what is a pitch, especially in the board game realm. Yeah. So you go to a con. A lot of people pitch at Gen Con, because that's the biggest one, and all the publishers are there. But you might be pitching at Origins or uh, BGG Con or a local con that has some publishers at it. And you might either be involved in a publisher speed dating event where you sign up and you talk to a different publisher every three, three to six minutes. If there's one organized at that con, I really like that format. I think it's a very efficient way to talk to a lot of people and get a lot of contacts going. Or you might just be going to the publisher's booth and asking for some time with them or their developer. And then... You need to be respectful of their time. Cons are busy. They have lots of people they want to talk to, lots of people want to talk to them. And you're going to have, you know, five minutes to pitch them your game. And you need to give them a short elevator pitch of your game, what makes it special, the key facts, which we can get into if you'd like, uh, to give the publisher an idea if they want to look at your game further. And in a pitch, should not be you explaining your rules. You don't explain the rules in the pitch. That comes later. So you're giving them an overview of the game. If they like it, they will ask for either a copy of the rules or they may ask to sit down and do a, uh, a play test. And after your pitch or as part of your pitch, you want to give the publisher a sell sheet, which is like a one page resume or overview of your game. Yeah, definitely. And I want to get into sell sheets in just a minute. But yeah, let's go into the, the more details of a good pitch. Like if you were going to sit down and give advice to a friend who's about to you know sit down with yeah, a yeah. publisher at a, at a con, a speed dating, whatever, what would you tell your friend as far as like, make sure you hit on these points? So I've done a bunch of publisher speed datings from the designer side of the table where you have either three, five, or six minutes to, to do your pitch. And then this year, last year at Gen Con, I had the opportunity to do it from the publisher's side of the table for the first time. I had a, a, a small publisher I know, and he could not make it to one of the speed dating nights. And so he said, I'd like, you've done a lot of publisher speed dating. I'd like you to go for my publishing company, and I want you to look for these four things. These are, these are the things I'm looking for in a game. Uh, please do the speed date. Report back to me on you know, what you see, and uh, I'll look at those games. And I was surprised when I did the publisher speed dating – how many designers did not have a coherent pitch and did not have a sell sheet or a business card? It was embarrassing. Hmm. Uh, and if you, if you don't come with those things, you're kind of wasting that publisher's time, and that may become your reputation with that publisher for the future. Now, they're not going to look at things from you in the future. So you want to come prepared. You want to have your sell sheet. You want to have a business card. So in the, in the in a pitch, it needs to be short. It needs to be direct. Uh, you should start with your name, who you are, because the publisher doesn't know who you are either. So you should start with your name, introduce yourself, and then tell them the key facts about your game. What are the number of players in the game? How long does it take to play? What audience is it aimed for? Like, this is a deep economic Euro game. Or this is a, a silly, take-that-in-your-face party game. 
or this is a uh, a medium weight family game. And so you want to kind of say, you know, what's the audience that your game is aiming for? And then you want to do the hook. And the hook is what makes your game special? You know, there's 300 games a month on Kickstarter and thousands of games will come out at Gen Con this year. How do you stand out in that giant crowd or sea of games? You know, what is the item that makes your game special? I'll give you some examples. So for um, Agricola, Zev said the hook for him was all the different cards in Agricola, all the different occupations and minor improvements you can do give the game tremendous replay value because every time you play, you're still playing on the core engine. You're playing all these different card combos that are really interesting to move or, to play around with. And I think that's why the hook for Terraforming Mars, too, is that massive pile of cards. Every time you play, you've got this different interesting engine you're building. You're building a different corporation, and that gives a great replay value. For Camel Up, the hook is probably the inverted pyramid. The dice come out of, right? You, you, you drop the dice of the inverted pyramid. People walk by the table and go, what's that? And it's got this weird upside-down pyramid, and that's kind of a cool gimmick. But when you play the game, it's a good game, so it gets you in there. Uh, and so the, the the hook, it can be components. Uh, it can be a mechanic of the game. It can be something that's novel about the game. But the, the real question is, you know, what's what's the hook? So I have a game right now called Pirate 21. It's in stores. That's 15 bucks, published by Indie Boards and Cards. And it's kind, it's, it's kind of like Blackjack with love letter or coup powers on the cards. And so kind of the hook for that game is you already know how to play. It's blackjack, but you can cheat. Uh, and so it's super easy to learn, really quick, easy to pick up filler game, uh, lots of fun stabbing your friends as a pirate. And so that's kind of the hook for that game is you already know how to play. It's, it's, it's super easy and accessible for everybody. Uh, and then you also want to go into with your, with your pitch, a more serious developer looking at it. Like if, if you're pitching to the, that board game developer, the person who, who's, 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 uh, whose job is to sh polish the games and finish them for production, they're going to know how do you win the game? You know, what are the win conditions? What triggers the end of the game? Uh, and what does a turn look like? So not all the rules, just like how do you execute a turn? A little snippet of the game. Uh, and those are the things you want to do. You don't want to talk until they become bleary-eyed or they stop listening. You want to you know, do a short uh, elevator pitch and then stop and take questions from them. And, and listen to what they're asking you, because that's, that's really going to tell them you know, what they're trying to feel out for your game. Really listen to the question. Uh, and if they, they turn you down, like, oh, this is not for us. You know, we do family games. This is a giant euro. It's not a good fit for us. Then you can ask, uh, well, who is this a good fit, fit for? Get a lead. And lots of people in the board game industry know lots of other people. They'll say, oh, you know, this isn't a good fit for us, but you should go down and show it to Mayday, or you should go show it to Indie Boards and Cards, because it might be a good fit for them. Yeah, definitely. I think it's so important to realize that just because you have five minutes, especially at one of these, you know, speed dating things, that doesn't mean you need to talk for five minutes. Like, don't practice this five-minute spiel right. about your game. Practice a two-minute spiel <laughs> and then, you know, give them time to kind of uh, breathe yep. and, and ask questions and that kind of thing because that's really where they're going to get to the heart of what they're looking for and that kind of thing. Now, what's your advice as far as using a language of, like, combinations as far as, like, so... Recently, I've been working on a superhero game, and people ask me, well, what's it like? What kind of game is it? And I'll say, well, it's, it's kind of like Pandemic meets Eldritch yeah. Horror with an Avengers theme on top. Like, just kind of give them, like, the quick, like, you know these games, and my game's got some similar me mechanisms and kind of things going on with this theme. Is that good to have in a pitch as well, to kind of drop some names of other games that it's similar to? Yeah, yeah. 
I've gotten mixed answers about this. I've asked okay. a lot of publishers about this. And some publishers are like, I don't like comparisons at all. That's bad. Don't do that. And the majority of publishers I talk to do like the comparisons. But it's, 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 it's important that you be careful how you make them. So you shouldn't say, my game is like this, but better. Uh, it, comparing it mechanically is a good way to do it. So you can say, you know, my game is, uh, you know, it's a co-op mechanically similar to Pandemic, but with this tight superhero theme. That's a good way to kind of set the tone of your game uh, in the publisher's mind. But we don't want to be like, uh, don't be disparaging other games uh, or saying, oh, this like this, but better. Uh, so that, <laughs> just careful how you do it. You're comparing to mechanics or feels of the game. Right, I think that's a good one. Don't say, it's like Pandemic, if Pandemic was a really great game. <laughs> don't, don't just like, throw other games under the bus to try to make yours seem better, because publishers are going to yeah. see right through that. You know, that's that's kind of like when people say, oh, it's going to you know, be as big as Monopoly. No, it's not. And that just proves that you don't know anything about the gaming industry, you don't know what you're talking about. So like, don't say stuff like that. All right, now let's talk about like when is it appropriate to do a pitch, right? So if you're at a speed dating event, obviously that, that is the, the venue. But, you know, if, some, if you just right. catch Zev walking up the es- or going up the escalator at Origins, maybe that's not the best time to be like, hey, let me give you my three-minute game pitch. Like, so tell me yeah. the, the most appropriate times to pitch to someone. Publishers, they have their contact info on their website, uh, and Zev has done this in the past, and he wants you to email him a few weeks before con and set up an appointment time to come pitch him. And that's the best way to do it. So he'll, you'll get on his calendar and he's going to, you know, he's going to meet you at, at this certain, this place at his booth or, or at a certain place at a certain time, the, the, the gaming hall to do a pitch. Uh, other than that, you may need to make an appointment uh, at the con. That's like, if you're doing it, like Jeremy comes to someone's booth and they have someone who's, who's looking at the pitches there. Who do I need to talk to? I say, Oh, you know, you need to talk to John C. He's going to be back. At 4 p.m., come back and try to catch him then, uh, or he'll be here in the booth tomorrow morning. Come by then, uh, and then they may give you a time when they want you to, to come by and look at the game then. Yeah, definitely. So don't don't just walk up on them when they're in the middle of like selling stuff. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, don't yeah, don't launch into your pitch for the booth volunteer who's who's there at their first con. <laughs> right. That's always fun. Although I think that's a rite of passage for any new volunteer to just have something they have to deal with, and like you have to figure this out. Yeah. All right, now let's talk about like in-person versus email because now not everybody can make it to a con. You know, if you're if you're pitching a, a game outside of con season, so to speak, you're, you're might probably going to have to go through an email uh, form or system like that. So tell me the difference between pitching a game through email versus what we've been talking about with in-person. That's a great question. I have not had success pitching a game through email or through online submissions or doing that kind of process. I've had more success in person. It does work, and I know people who have done it. Um, it's important to look at it. does that publisher have a submission policy on their website and read it carefully and follow it exactly because that submission policy is a gate to screen out people they don't want to work with because they can't follow instructions, yeah. right? If you, uh, if you can't read the rules and play by them, uh, I don't trust you to write rules or, or write a game. So that would be very care- carefully careful, read their instructions, follow on the way at the tailor your pitch to that and then again you want to keep it short and succinct you might want to write just a few paragraphs right. and we need to be considerate of the publisher's time they make it a lot of emails every day and if you have a giant wall of text pitching your game it's unlike they're going to read that it's you're, you're just going to get deleted or maybe they go in the maybe look at this later folder uh but if you're if you have a very short 
amount of text in your pitch, just like a, a very high level summary and then a nice sell sheet attached that's very visual. Uh, in that case, I'd make my sell sheet like a JPEG so you know it's going to show up in line in their email and they'll have to download an attachment so they see it right away. Uh, then that, that's, that's your kind of your hook to get it through that first door. And then if they like it, they may ask you for the rules or a print and play file to go further. Yeah, and I guess that's really the, the main thing a pitch is designed to do. It's to get you in the door. It's to get someone to say, Correct. oh, yeah, tell me more. Like that's the main, that is its whole job. The pitch is not to explain your game. It's not to talk yep. about how great your game and all this stuff. It is to get the yep. publisher to say, tell me more, to get your foot in that door, to whether it's through email or in person. That, that's what you're trying to do. And so do you have any other advice as far as pitching a game or, or anything like that? Uh, we're going to get into sell sheets and how to make a good sell sheet. But I think the best thing to do is really a, keep it short and think about what's the hook, what makes yours, your game special, and stand out from the sea of hundreds of other games. You know, why is your game unique? What's going to differentiate it in the marketplace? Yeah, for sure. Because you got to think, publishers, they're not in the business of making games. They're in the business of making money. And games are the way yeah, that they yeah. do that. And so you need to separate your game from others. Otherwise, like, why would somebody buy this game? If, so if it's, if it's nothing more than Scythe, but a little different. Well, they're yep. just going to buy side. They already have side. They're not going to buy that game. And so a publisher looks at this as a product. And so I think that's something super uh, valuable to, for people to realize. Now, let's get into sell sheets. First of all, what is a sell sheet? So my, I mean, there's a lot of people who've never even heard of this concept. So like, give me a good working definition. Yeah, so a sell sheet, and we should say this is an S-E-L-L sheet, uh, is a one-page visual resume for your game. And it's like a visual summary of your game. Uh, so imagine you're in a publisher's position, you're at Gen Con, and you talked to 20 designers today that came to your booth to pitch you games. And some of them pitched you multiple games, uh, and they did their job well. They had a short pitch to be respectful of your time, uh, and none of them dropped off a sell sheet. Are you going to remember the names of those designers, their contact information, or what their game was about? It's all going to blur together in your head. Or if you're doing publish, as publisher speed dating, and every three minutes or five minutes you're seeing another game, you're not going to remember all the details of that game. You're just going to have a general impression of it. And so the sell sheet is there to provide those details and a summary of the game for the memory of the publisher so that I oh, understand this game. Uh, your sell sheet should have some of the key facts about your game. Again, the number of players, the playtime kind of the difficulty or the audience of the game. Uh, I would do some of the core mechanics of the game. You know, is this worker placement? Uh, is this like a, a dice rolling game? Is this take that? Uh, and I would do this as uh, bullet points. So not, not big paragraphs, short, small, digestible uh, sentences, just like a, a high-level overview. Uh, if you have tested your game at a protospiel or unpub event, you might want to put that on there that show that your game has been tested to a wider audience, you've done more development work on it. Uh, if you have other published games or other published titles, you might want to put that on there from the designer of so-and-so, or I like to do, put that on the back of the sell sheet. I put my, my previous history on the back of the sell sheet uh, to kind of give the publisher an idea who I am. Uh, and I would encourage you, the sell sheet should be one page, one-sided, and leave at least half the back blank, if not the whole back blank. So the publisher, some publishers like to take notes on the back during your pitch or kind of write down some things about your game. So give them that space to write that down. It will be useful as well. I would um, have a picture 
of your game laid out on a table, like when you're on a Kickstarter and you see all the components laid out on a table or the back of a game box and you see it all laid out on the table, I would have a, a picture like that. And if your game has a unique component or mechanism that you can show visually, uh, I would have a picture of that as well. So, for example, uh, one of my local designers, Shane, he's working on this like state fair game, and then it has a 3D chipboard Ferris wheel that stands up on the, it's like 12 inches tall, wow. made out of chipboard, stands on the uh, table, and you put little meeples on it, and that's part of the game. So for that sell sheet, I want to see a picture of someone putting a meeple on the Ferris wheel to see that's you know that's kind of the hook or one of the interesting things about the game. I would say there's your sell sheet should probably be half images and graphics and half text. Uh, and you know, don't make a wall of text again because it won't get read. So short bullet points overview of your game. Yeah, definitely. I think you know it's important to realize this is not a Word document. Like this is not just a big Correct. paragraph upon paragraph of summary. Like that is not visually appealing and it's not going to stand out. And again, this is you're wanting to stand out to get the publisher to say, Yeah, tell me more. Now, when when would you say is the best time to hand it to a publisher? You said, you know, they might want to take notes on it. And so yeah, does yeah. that mean like as you start your pitch, hand them the sell sheet, or is that distracting? I think so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just just like when you go to a job interview, you know, you bring an extra copy of your resume and you hand that to the interviewer at the beginning. The same kind of idea here. I would have a sell sheet ready and hand it over at the beginning of the interaction so that they can look at it and kind of compare it to what you're talking to. And they may have questions in their mind and, and they missed what you said, how many players it was. So they can look down and go, oh, yeah, yeah okay, okay, it goes up to five players. You know, we're looking for that right now. Uh, and so I, I would hand them the sell sheet at the beginning. Gotcha. Now let's talk about pictures just for a moment. I've seen some sell sheets where they go in and they take art from Magic the Gathering, or they take art off of just Google Images and they yeah, throw that yeah, on yeah. there. What what's, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Uh, so some publishers are okay with this. I've asked a lot of publishers about this, uh, but some of them really don't like that. I, I think that is unprofessional and something you shouldn't do. If I went to a protospiel and I played a prototype with a designer that's in testing, and he's got like, you know, it's a superhero game. He's got Superman on there. It's not going to be Superman in the final game. It's got like an image on there. Uh, and, and you know, he's called Overpowered Guy, but it's a picture of Superman. <laughs> that wouldn't bother me. because It's some it's it's play testing. We're at a protospiel. Right. But when you get to the pitch stage of your game, meaning your game is complete, it's done, it's ready, you shouldn't have any copyrighted work in the prototype. I would use, you know, clip art. Publishers aren't. Most publishers are not picky about art. There's a very good chance they're going to throw out whatever art you had and reskin it to fit their line anyway. So we tell designers, don't don't pay for art because it's probably going to be wasting your money and and just do some clip art. So I would use um, gameicons.net or you can use uh, the nounproject.com. It has lots of great little iconography for all kinds of things. That's usually what I use. Yep. Uh, or the Smithsonian and the National Gallery of Art has lots of historical stuff that you can use for free that the government owns and puts out for people to use. Uh, and you can use those kinds of resources and, and others. You can find, you know, clip art sites, things like that. But I would definitely not have any a recognizable IP on your game. Yeah, for sure. And I've found a lot of success with what you're saying with icons. I mean, there are so there yeah. are millions and millions of icons. You can find anything you need now as an icon for free and use it, and it works as a, as a great uh, placeholder. That, I think that's that's fine. You know, you put, put a guy wearing a cape, you know, right. in, in black and white. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And for the superhero game I'm working on, that's exactly what it is. All the characters, their little standees, their little, all their cards, all that stuff, is, is just a, a silhouette of a guy with a cape, and it works out really, really well. That's right, so, fine, yeah. So let's talk about, like, what info 
what in general info do you need on there other than kind of what you've already said? Obviously, player count. Obviously, how long right. does the game take? The you know bullet points of main things. Any other info you need on there? I it, I think in most cases, it's a good idea to put your component count or your component list on the sell sheet. Hmm. Uh, if you didn't have it there, I don't think it's a cardinal sin, but I think you generally want it on there, especially if you've done good work as a designer to get your component count down to make the game affordable to produce. So like if you have a game that's 54 or 108 cards, uh, or if your game, you know, it's like 10 tokens and 50 cards, then I would definitely want to put that component list on the sell sheet because that's a sells, that's a, a positive aspect of the game. Composure can look at that and go, oh yeah, I know how to produce this. This will be easy to produce. Uh, if your game has, you know, 300 cards, you probably still want to do that, put that on the sell sheet to give the publisher an idea of you know how big your game is. Uh, but that that's something you may want to consider. That maybe I'm going to hold that back and try to get them to play the game first before they realize how many components are in there. Generally, uh, I try to put the components on all my sell sheets, and, and I've thought through you know what's the price point of my game, what's the retail price part of my game going to be, what am I aiming for, do my components fit that, and I, I want to put that on the sell sheet. Right, because again, these are these are publishers, and they do this for a living. They're in the business of making money, and so they can look at that component list and go, okay, this game is going to yep. cost roughly X amount of dollars to produce. Is this a game that's worth X amount of dollars to a customer? Like, are people going to pay $60 for this game, or is this more of a $30 game, but I can't produce it for that little because there's way too many dice, there's too many components, whatever. And it kind of gives the publishers a gauge on the, the cost uh, the, and the value of the game, right? Yep. Absolutely. And your contact information, you know, I'm always surprised when I get a sell sheet and there's not contact information on there. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. If you work with a design partner as I do, you probably want to pick someone to be the port of contact and just put their contact information on there. You know, the other, the other person's name's on the sell sheet, but not their contact info. So you have a, a clear point of contact and it's not like, well, who should I email? Right. Now, one more thing you might want to put on your sell sheet, and I have mixed feelings about this, is the age, the target age of your game. Lots of designers do this, but it has some pros and cons. The pro is it gives the publisher an idea of how complex your game is and what audience you're aiming for, which, which is good. Uh, the, the con is pretty much every game sold is going to say 13 plus on the box. And the reason for that is for legal reasons and uh, child safety laws and chemical testing and the stuff that goes on behind the scenes in the publishing world. Uh, so... If my game says eight plus, it does set like you know how complex this game is. An eight year old could play it, but the real published game is going to say thirteen plus. So mm. I don't know about putting the age on there. How how important that is. If you have space and it fits there clearly, it can't hurt you. But if you know you're trying to clean up your layout so it's not so much information on the page, that's something I think you can cut. Gotcha. Now let's talk about software. What kind of software do you use to create your sell sheets? And then we can kind of get into some other options as well. Yeah. I'm on a Mac, uh, so I use Pages, uh, which is the word process that comes with the Mac, and it's it's a very capable page layout application as well. Uh, so if you're running the modern version of Pages, or you have Pages on your iOS device, if you have an iPhone or an iPad, uh, on the Mac you can go to File, Convert to Page Layout, and it will remove all the text from the page and make it like a page layout to just drop blocks on and move things around. Mm-hmm. If you're on a, a Windows computer, uh, and you're looking for something to do, I would say probably don't do your sell sheet in Word. I would tell you to do it in PowerPoint. Yeah. Uh, and then open it PowerPoint, change the slide size to be like an eight and a half, 11 piece of paper, 
And because it's just going to be a nice layout program for moving graphics around and blocks and, you know, putting some colored blocks in there and photos and, and text and icons. And so I would probably do it in PowerPoint. Now, if you have real software and you have like InDesign and you know how to use that, great. Use that. It's going to give you a leg up on the competition if your sell sheet looks awesome. But if you're the average designer, I'd say you're probably doing it in PowerPoint or maybe in pages. You could do it in Word or Google Docs, but those are kind of clunky for sell sheets. So not my first choice. Uh, we might see this as a feature in like things like uh, Component Studio that the, the Game Crafter puts out in the future. Right now, I haven't seen like a make a sell sheet feature, but that may be something you, you see added to those game designer softwares in the future. Yeah, that'd be a really cool and, and useful way to uh, make that software even more valuable. But I agree, using Word and, and some of those other uh, word processing things, they don't work. And also when they print, sometimes they don't print the way you set it up. Yeah. And yep. so it just gets annoying and frustrating. The software I use is called Canva. And I've talked about this on the show a number of times in the past, C-A-N-V-A dot com. It's just you go in there, you tell it exactly how big you want your uh, page to be, and it makes it super simple to put text and pictures and it helps you center everything and line everything up. And it, it's just amazing. And it's free. Uh, there's a paid Very version nice. if you want to, but it's free. And I've, I've had a lot of success with that. I think the biggest thing is don't feel like you need to go out and spend $100 or $200 on no, some fancy program. Again, this is kind of like art. Like You don't have to go out and spend a bunch of money on art for your game. You don't have to spend a bunch of money for uh, a program to make a sell sheet either. You can do it for a much uh, lower cost, free even. And so don't don't feel like you have to spend money to, to do this. Right on. Is, is Canva cross-platform? Yes, yeah, it, it's it's through the web browser. So like you just hop on. Oh, browser based. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it makes it super. So anybody easy. could do it. Yeah, yep. right on. And it saves everything on their server, so you're not filling up your. You know, if you don't have a lot of space left on your hard drive, or whatever, you're not having to use it. You can use all their servers to save stuff. And then it's also got a ton of like stock photos. Many of them are free. Some of them you can pay a dollar and get like a really cool stock image of, of different things, uh, icons and everything. So it's it's got a ton of graphics, ton of shapes, ton of frames, all sorts of really cool stuff, and it just makes it super, super uh, simple. That, that sounds great. That's, that's a great tool to fit that need. Yeah. Now let's talk about uh, the business card real quick. You mentioned that as something else. Yeah. You know, what, what, what does the business card need to have on it? Let's talk about the business card and uh, other things you want to bring with you for your pitch. Uh, so the thing is beyond the, having your pitch practiced, having your sell sheet, other things you want. It, it's important to have business cards uh, because you may not have time to give someone a sell sheet. You're just going you know, to walk in the hall and you bump into them and you meet them at a, a meetup or a restaurant or whatever, and you just want to give them a business card. Uh, I'm not super picky about designer business cards, and most of the publishers I talk to aren't either. They don't care if it's printed on super nice cardstock and whatever. It can be made on your home printer and punched out. You, as a designer, you know how to make cards. That's <laughs> part of your job. Right. Uh, and so it could be on a poker card. It could be on a, you know, it doesn't have to be on a business card, but it should have your contact information and maybe a little icon or picture representing the games you're pitching uh, or the games you already have published. So the designer kind of sets in their mind who they are. But it's important to have cards with you because uh, it's an important part of networking at cons and people finding you and following up and contact. So I would have cards. Uh, the other things I would think about, I would definitely have in Dropbox or Google Drive or a, a file sharing service, I would have a PDF of your sell sheet that you can email or send electronically. I would have a PDF of your rules that you can email or send electronically. And I would have a unified single file PDF print and play of your game that you could also send electronically. 
So as you clear those gates, like, oh, okay, I like this game, send me the rules or send my developer the rules that you don't have to like, oh, here, here's the paper rules, give it to him. You can email directly to the developer the rules from your, your account. Or like, oh, send us a print and play, you want to have one ready to go, and that file already made, so you got it. What's your, can I have your business card? All right, it's in your email right now. Bam, done. Uh, and you want to be ready with those things to go. You might also want to put those on your sell sheet. If you have a link to the rules or a link to the uh, print and play, you might want to put that link on your sell sheet. That may be useful. Depends on how you want to, if you want to control access to that experience or not, but that may be useful to do. And then lastly, uh, I encourage designers, if they can, and this is harder to do, to make a how to play video for your game uh, and where you explain the rules so people don't have to read the rules. And if you have a how to play video, you may want to have that on your sell sheet or have the link like saved on your phone so you can send someone that that link. And you may even want to make it like a two minute pitch and rules uh, video if you think that's appropriate uh, as, a, as a, another tool to have in your, your arsenal. Yeah, definitely. And all this stuff goes so far in making you seem like a legitimate Real life professional designer. Yes. You know when yep. someone says, "Hey, do you have a print and play?" and you go, "Oh yeah, I just sent it to you. I just emailed. I'm, I just emailed you the file." Yep. Like, because I've had this is something I've run into in the past where I pitched a game, I sent in the sell sheet, I did a rules overview video, and the poster's like, "Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. Send me the print and play." And I'm like, "Oh crap. Uh, okay, <laughs> give me like three days, and then I'll send it to you." And I was like, "Man, I feel like I dropped the ball there." And not that it yep. disqualified me, you know, outright or anything, but it would have been so much better had I been like, "Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll send that to you uh, right now." Uh, it just makes you seem like more like you really know what you're doing like you're a professional and somebody they want to work with yep it's 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 you know a point for you versus a point you missed you you failed to score right you want to score as many points as you can so in the publisher's mind you're like oh this guy's really professional we want to hit a good pitch he had a great look at the sell sheet he had his print and print ready to go we want to work with this guy versus well you know what he didn't have, he didn't have this he didn't have that i asked him for this it took him three days to get that do we want to take a chance on this guy? And so you just, you want to seem professional and that you're and that you're easy to work with. Right. It also saves them a lot of time. It's not you know they don't have to yep. waste time back and forth emails and emails. They can have everything right there ready to go. And publisher time is at a premium. Right. You want to be respectful of their time. You want to have a short pitch. Don't explain all the rules of your game because that they're just going like oh man you know who's this guy going to stop talking? Uh, and then you want to thank them for their time at the end. So well, thank you for your time. Thank you for looking at it. Appreciate it. Sorry it's not for you. You want to be respectful of that time. Don't be defensive about your game because you may have another game in the future. You want to pitch to that same publisher. So what you're doing is you're developing a relationship you're going to use later. Um, games come and go. That relationship is more valuable and it's going to span multiple games. So, you know, don't burn those bridges. Be polite and thankful and respectful of your time. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if they give you some feedback. If they say, you know, this yes. game's not for us, but, you know, if, if you change this, have you tried this other game? Have you thought about this? Right. Don't get defensive. Say thank you. Somebody's helping you. They're trying to make your game better, and they know absolutely. what they're talking about. They do this for a living. And so the last thing you want to do is get defensive and then, you know, try to defend your game and be like, well, you know, I don't think that's a good idea. No, just say thank you. I really appreciate that. Write it down. Maybe it's advice you need. Maybe it's not. But, again, you're not trying to burn bridges. So, Correct. Yep. All right, let me ask you about this. What are your what are your thoughts on having like a picture of yourself somewhere on the business card or the sell sheet or something like that? Like especially if you meet a oh, uh, yeah. publisher in person, just kind of help them rem remember who it was they saw. Is that a good idea? That's a great question. Yeah, I've been going back and forth on this one too. Should I have a picture of me on there? Because I, you know, I don't like to look at myself. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's maybe I have another problem with that. Oh man, that's that's a that's a tough one. I, I don't think it could hurt you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if especially if it's like you at the table playing the game, that, that may not be bad. 
I, I currently have two business cards that I take with me, and one of them does have my picture on it. Uh, and the one that's a picture, it's a stylized picture of me. It's like rendered uh, in, it's, it's rendered in black and white, actually. So it could be, it could be laser printed on something. Uh, it's not even grayscale. It's black and white. Uh, and so I do have that image. It's the same image I use like on my social media accounts. So it looks like me, but it's not like super detailed. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I, I don't know. I think you're going to have to make that call yourself. I, I get, I don't think it's going to, as long as it's not like a giant photo of yourself or like this guy has a huge ego, <laughs> you know, if it's a small little square picture of yourself, uh, you know, maybe if you have a, a t-shirt for your, your game or your game company or something like that, or your, your, you know, it's a cowboy game and you're wearing a cowboy hat. I, I think that's perfectly appropriate. Putting a name and a face together is good. I don't know if, if I would do that. Yeah, that, that's a that's a tough call. Again, right. I think it's one of those things that can't hurt you. Uh, if you have space for it, go for it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's not something that's going to disqualify you. And again, you're trying to stick out. You're trying to be remembered. And so if you can have your picture on there, it makes it maybe one more point of, of memorability. I don't know if that's a word. But memorability for the publisher to kind of recall who you were and, and your pitch. Now... Let's talk about follow-up. What does it look like? All right, so you pitched a game, you gave them the sales sheet, maybe you talked to them at the speed dating, whatever. What does the follow-up look like? Like, to walk me through the proper etiquette so people aren't, you know, just like spamming publishers and all this. So like, what's the what's the best yeah, way to handle yeah. the follow-up? And that's something. If if they take a print and play or they take the rules, if you have the presence of mind, you should ask that. You should be, oh, when should I get back to you? When should I follow up? Most publishers ask that you give them like a week after the con, if you're going to a con and pitch them, to just get caught up on their life and their email and all the stuff they're doing. And if they're in that season where they're back-to-back cons, you may want to wait a while. Things move slow in the publishing world. You can get a game signed, and it can sit in the queue at the publisher for two or three years. And that's not unusual. And they already have their next two years of what they're going to publish planned out, and you're going in year three. Uh, and so things can move slow in the board game world. So I, I would say, uh, give them a, a week, at least a week. And then if you have their cutting of vote, which you should have gotten, if they were interested in your game, uh, send them a follow-up email. And again, maybe you want to put the sell sheet in there or a photo of the game to jog their memory of which, which game it is and who they're talking to and just say, Hey, I'm just checking in. Uh, did you get a chance to read the rules? Did you, did you make the print and play? Do you have any questions? I'm available for questions. Here's my contact info and just kind of ping them to check in. And you want to be patient about that and not be hounding them. Because if you hound them and you make them uncomfortable, they're just going to drop you because there's plenty of other fish in the sea. Yeah, definitely. That makes their decision much easier. They can filter you out right then. Knowing, okay, they don't want to work with you. If you're going to do this during this stage, good Lord, what are you going to do during the two years it's taking to get the game actually printed (laughs) and on store shelves? Like, you're just, you're not the kind of person they probably want to work with. And so I think that's something uh, really to remember. Now, Jeremy, do you have any, any kind of closing thoughts or any kind of last advice for any of this, pitches or sell sheets or follow-up or anything? If you, if you want to get your game published, aside by a publisher, you, you've got to do the homework. And uh, that means making a sell sheet, having a, a card of some sort, uh, getting your, your rules and your print and play together, and, and doing that legwork. And the last thing that you want to do is you want to do homework on the publishers you're pitching to. What is their line? What kind of games do they publish? Is this a good fit for them? And, you know, don't show up with your, your sprawling two-hour euro and pitch that to a family game company that's, that's, or, you know, like Northstar that's never going to do a game like that. Uh, and it, it's not a good fit for them. Understand the publishers you're pitching to so you, you make the right pitch to the right publisher. 
Awesome. Man, Jeremy, really appreciate all the insight and advice. I'm, I'm about to head over to a bonus round, a little bit different bonus round. Today, I'm going to be talking about the contest, the upcoming board game design lab uh, design challenge that's going to follow this exact same format. The, the first round is going to be you're going to submit a pitch and a sell sheet and maybe even a business card. I'm thinking I'm leaning towards having them, having people submit a business card as well with the right intent on. of getting people used to this process and good at this process, practiced at this process. You'll have a much better chance of getting uh, your game signed, getting it published. So uh, I'm looking forward to talking about that over in the bonus round. That contest will start this Friday, April the 20th. And so I'm so excited about this contest, so excited to see uh, what Board Game Design Lab listeners in the community come up with for this and just it's going to be a really cool thing and hopefully it helps you get better at this process but anyway jeremy again thanks for coming on the show and good luck with everything you got going on right now all right thank you for having me i appreciate it greatly thanks for listening hosting for the board game design lab podcast is sponsored by quartermaster logistics the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?